Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Hello, world. Welcome to the 352nd episode of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business Channel. And we're broadcasting in our eighth year across the world from our studio on Hollywood Boulevard in Los Angeles, where the weather is hot, very hot. I realize when I'm listening to that uh, intro that I say that we're around about, I think, 90% of businesses fail. The latest figures show that around 97% of all new businesses fail. So 97%, so you've got a 2.5% chance of being successful if you go into business as a startup. So not very good percentages. The augmented reality and virtual reality space is amazing, and it's taken a bit longer to catch on than I thought it would, probably because the equipment's expensive. But it's hot, getting hot right now as people anticipate the uh, arrival of 5G. And I was at a, an event in Hollywood the other night and I saw a demonstration of virtual reality that was where you could actually walk around inside the action scene. It was, um, it was actually Jesus in the cave um, with one of his disciples and the disciple was lying on a bench and you can actually walk around the, not only the cave but interact with Jesus and um, the person on the slab. Um, I've never seen that before and I've seen some good um, VR, but this was unbelievably amazing. And today I read about a company called Magic Leap. It's a startup that's raised $2.3 billion and they're building smart glasses and they're going to demo them at um, select AT&T locations in the United States and they'll start shipping them later this year to what they call qualified designers and developers, whatever the hell that means. But um, current AT&T customers will apparently be able to experience them at certain stores in Atlanta, Boston, Chicago, Los Angeles, and San Francisco. So if you're in any of those spots, keep a watch out for them. Now, Magic Leap is, it's often called augmented reality headset, although the company prefers to use the phrase mixed reality. I'm not sure what the hell that means, but they call it mixed reality. The glasses connect to a small computer and you wear it on your belt. I guess it's a bit like a BlackBerry used to be. And the software is controlled through gestures and a controller. Some versions of the Magic Leap hardware will have a cellular connection, likely next generation cellular called 5G. Now, Magic Leap is expected to cost, they're not saying yet, but uh, it's predicted to cost somewhere around $1,500, which, considering what you get, isn't bad. They've got offices around the US. 
Magic Leave, I'd never heard of them, yet they've got over a 1,000 employees and they're spending $50 million a month. That's a lot. That's $12 million a week, $2.5 million a day. Still, even spending 12 and a half, that sort of money, it, um, it's got $2.3 billion, so therefore it seems to me yeah, that uh, I've got to work out quickly. They've got about four years' capital up their sleeve if they keep spending $50 million a month. And I guess because it's such a hot space, they can um, undoubtedly raise a lot more. Now, if you're like us and you're living in a major city, you probably thought, what is with all these scooters? There seems to be scooters in front of almost every building in every block. There are tens of thousands of rentable dockless electric scooters. So you, you just dock them anywhere. You don't have to dock them even, sorry. You just leave them anywhere you want. And the major company that we see in LA is Bird. Almost every sp- scooter's got Bird on it. And it's founded by uh, former Uber and Lyft executives, Travis Vanderzanden. But uh, so all you do, apparently, I haven't hired one because I'd probably bloody kill myself. Um, I, I, the number of suburbs now in LA have brought in rules that say you can't ride one without a helmet. And I'm wondering what sort of, um, you know, what, what sort of damage that will do to people hiring um, scooters. I mean, if you have to carry around your helmet, it sort of um, defeats the purpose of just grabbing a helmet if you've got a, grabbing a scooter. But you download the Bird app, you find a scooter, and it, it's got details on it, how you unlock it, and you unlock it and start riding. It's as simple as that. They've already got a valuation well over $2 billion, and it's just another part of the trend known as micro-mobility. And at $0.15 cents a minute and just a buck to unlock, it's pretty good value if you just want to, you know, if I wanted to go from here to Santa Monica, um, it's probably quicker to get a bird than it is to get an Uber. And probably a hell of a lot quicker through the traffic. Now, Bird further highlights a growing trend on consumer habits because millennials, and I guess the emerging generation Z, they want to rent rather than own. And I know my son's not the least bit interested in owning anything. He'll rent whatever. And this continues to disrupt existing business models at an unprecedented rate. Um, you know, the, I think the younger generation are about enjoying themselves. They're not about tying themselves to, you know, three or four or five hundred dollars a month for a car and all the rest of the things that some of we older folks do. And that's really disrupting. The emergence of ride-hailing apps caused the average monthly trips per taxi in San Francisco to drop 65%. In New York City, the price of a taxi medallion has fallen from $1.32 million 
230,000. So it's lost 80% of its value. And in Chicago, 42% of all licensed cabs in Chicago are now inactive and off the road. 42% of all cabs. And shareable transport, like um, Avis Budget, Budget Group, which bought car sharing company Zipcar, it's also had a huge negative impact on the auto industry. Millennials have got a lower rate of car ownership than any other generation ever. And now Volvo's offering subscription services for a vehicle. It's kind of like leasing a car, but the terms are much more flexible. And uh, it looks as though all cars, all car companies are going to offer subscription services for ride-hailing services. And Ford's developing an autonomous taxi fleet. And, of course, Alphabet, Waymo, Google is launching a hailable fleet of self-driving minivans by the end of the year. If you hail a self-driving car, who the hell knows that you're hailing them? How, do you, how does that work? I'm not sure. But what I do know is it's a massive transport revolution. Now, do you get my 30-second read business newsletter? We've now got about, I think, 1.75 or 6 million daily subscribers. It takes 30 seconds to a minute every day um, to read and we tackle a different subject from advances in medicine and we talk about new apps, new technology, we talk about Hyperloop and autonomous cars and blockchain, a whole bunch of things and uh, then we talked about why AT&T wanted to get its hands on Time Warner because it wanted to get a hold of the 5G. Um, so if you get it every day, it is amazing how much general knowledge you can have about everything that's going on in business. Now, you go out to lunch with your boss, and no matter what subject he brings up, he talks about Bitcoin. Okay, you know all about that. You know exactly what's happening, the latest things. He talks about cancer. You know about the latest technology in cancer and, and what's being done, or Autonomous cars, you know about that, or how long it's going to take to get from here to New York in um, in Hyperloop. You know all that stuff, and your boss is going to look at you and say, shit, this guy is really smart. He's got a great general knowledge. And when the promotion comes up, hey, baby, you've got it. And if you can't, don't currently get the newsletter, it's really easy. Simply go to the website bobpritchard.com and enroll. If you want to unsubscribe, just click on the unsubscribe on the newsletter and you will be gone. It's really easy. And I've got to tell you, we get hundreds and hundreds of people every month enrolling and we might get one or two unsubscribes at the most. So it's well worth getting. Now, for billions of years, the moon did nothing and sat there while we exploded with life. And then all of a sudden, December 1968 until December 1972, nine crews of human beings orbited, walked on and even drove on the surface. The humans then left 40 years ago and nearly 50 years ago and have never gone back. So 
we're now talking about returning to the moon. But rather than short-term cruise and throwaway vehicles, the US now is going to establish a long-term presence on the moon. And the centrepiece of the new system is the Gateway. It's sort of a mini space station to be built with the help of more than a dozen other nations. It's going to be about a 75-tonne assembly consisting of habitable molecules, <laughs> molecule modules, each roughly the size of a school bus, plus a snap-on module for power and propulsion and two others that will serve as airlocks for spacewalking and a docking port. Now, astronauts could live on board the galaxy for up to six weeks at a time. It would orbit from a low of about 1,200 miles above the moon to a height of about 47,000 miles, and they can make trips to and from the lunar surface in reusable and affordable landing craft. NASA's working to have men on the moon by 2025. Yeah, that's only seven years away. And then the next step is Mars. And getting experience on a planet like the moon, which is only three days away, it's a good start before we head off to Mars, which is eight months away. Now, Gateway could also provide resources. You know, the moon's already a ready source for water, air, and rocket fuel, thanks to ice that's got the deposit in its poles. So Mars-band astronauts could pick up supplies they need for their trip, saving the enormous cost of bringing these essentials from Earth. And NASA's invited five companies, including Lockheed Martin and Boeing, to submit plans and hopes to award a contract by the end of this year. So, folks, we are heading for Mars. That's interesting because um, Elon Musk says he's going to have a colony on Mars by 2022. That's three years before the federal government says it's um, going to have a man on Mars. And it seems to me that Washington can hardly ever agree on a short-term budget extension just to keep the government running here in America. What the hell chance have they got of agreeing on a budget to put a man on Mars? Bugger all, I reckon. My bet is that that simply won't happen. Now, I was down in Melbourne um, just a few weeks ago, and I had dinner with a guy named David Sapper, and uh, he's the co-founder at Blockbid, and he successfully exited two other tech startups that he founded, and Blockbid, I found out, is a secure crypto exchange facilitating the highest volume of trades for the most cryptocurrencies with a single login. Blockbid will also support mainstream fiat currencies for more diverse trading, and it's scalable up to 1 million transactions per second. 1 million transactions per second. That is a lot. And David, just a really great guy. I mean, he's obviously bloody smart. He's a bit of a nerd, but he's a really, really good guy. We had a good time and uh, a good chat. So I got back in touch with him because I wanted to hear more about Blockbit. And I'm going to be back with David. I think you'll find it really, really, really interesting. I'll be back with David after this short break on the Bob Pritchard Radio Show.
And we're being broadcast right across the world this week from the technology and entertainment hub of the world, Los Angeles, California. I'll be back in just a minute. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking Radio Show. You know, over the last eight years, boy, that's a long time, we've given you insights into the lives of over 350 of the world's most interesting people some fantastic companies, we've talked about what they do, and we've tried to find out what it is that makes the entrepreneurs tick. You know, it's extremely rare to find an extraordinary personality or a unique talent or even a successful business with over 97% of all new businesses failing. It's obviously very difficult to create a successful business. So we try to get them on the program, and I've got another gem today. Recently in Australia, I had a lovely dinner with a friend of mine and a guy named David Sapper. And he was telling me about Blockbid, a secure exchange with the goal of facilitating the highest volume of trades for the most cryptocurrencies with a single login. You know, I've been in crypto for quite a while. I'm doing an ICO and, you know, it has been, it's getting a little easier but it's been very difficult to trade crypto. And uh, so we, we got talking and, you know, found out that Blockbit will also support mainstream fiat currencies for more diverse trading. And uh, they're aiming to facilitate trading of more coins on a single platform than any other exchange. Now, the interesting thing I reckon is that Blockbit is scalable up to 1 million transactions per second. That is a shitload. And the Blockbit platform's been built to support traders of all experience levels. And Blockbit's one of the first to be fully covered by cybersecurity insurance. Now, a bit about David. David's got a great track record. He's a co-founder at Blockbit, and he successfully exited two other tech startups that he founded. 
He's um, experienced at penetrating new markets by leveraging his analytical skills. He's quite a serious guy, but he's he's also a fun guy and an interesting guy. And uh, we had a we had a great night. He uses his passion and technical experience to create startups that disrupt the commercial landscape. Then he sells out and makes a shared load of money. That all sounds good. David, welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. You are being heard all around the world. Thank you, Bob. And as you mentioned, it was a really great dinner to be able to sit down. (laughs) It was really, really great. Sit down, have a chat, and uh, also discuss with you a passion of mine, which happens to be also a passion of yours for for quite a long time. Yeah. (laughs) How does Blockbid aim to create a more transparent and secure cryptocurrency trading platform. I mean, we hear so much about platforms and this. they seem to pop up all over the place and, and uh, constantly getting hacked. And So how do you aim to create a more transparent and secure trading platform? Well, for us, it was really clear from the onset that we had to build a great foundation. Um, and it came across with a very simple mindset of, bringing stock market-like accessibility, um, usability, and transparency to the cryptocurrency market. Right. Uh, for us, uh, we, we thought that we needed to exceed user expectations. We needed to exceed uh, the stringent global expectations as well for government regulations or regulatory oversight. And we started creating great alliances and setting the foundation around insurance, usability, and scalability as well. Right. So the, how do you um, protect against bad actors, you know, money launderers or people seeking to finance illegal activity or people just trying to avoid tax? So for us, this, this was actually a partnership that we formed over about six to eight months. We, we were in touch with threat metrics uh, based here in Sydney originally, they're a uh, device ID fraudulent detection monitoring system that is used by the big banks and by their parent company, LexisNexis Risk Solutions. And between both of them, we, we were able to not only provide a full bank-grade KYC solution, yeah. we're also able to provide a behavioral monitoring analysis system that works for overlapping different types of data, biometrics, government issues, identifiers, device identification, geolocation, and threat intelligence that really allows us to determine if there are any bad actors and whether there are any money launderers or such that are seeking to finance illegal activity on a site and put a stop to that. Right. And, and you did um, point out that um, this system is to exclude me, right? <laughs> <laughs> Um, so, does this extra technology and security create any issues in um, in dealing with Blockbit? First, we, we did understand that Blockbit was looking to set the bar worldwide. And the cryptocurrency boom that we're currently seeing worldwide is really taking the steps to move out of the Wild West. Everyone has had this notion that 
you move into the scene, uh, you potentially, you know, invest in a particular project or market and, uh, you know, take your money out a day later and buy a house. Yeah. And while this does attract, you know, the, the various different individuals to the market itself, we, we really wanted to see the industry grow. And as we've seen in the dot-com boom, as we've seen in many different areas where new technology emerges, there always has to be someone standing at the front and saying, we are there to protect not only the consumers, we're there to also heed the obligatory oversight that is needed by the government as well, or by the regulatory bodies. And we decided to stand there and say, this is us. This is what we're looking for, and thereby attract institutional investors or many other parties that have been sitting on the side waiting for the technology and the industry to mature to the next level before being able to enter the market. Right. I think that's I think that's beginning to happen. Um, you know, we've been through the wild swings of, of prices, etc., and it seems to me that there's a hell of a lot of the big institutional guys that are getting into crypto now, uh, and as well as a lot of the big investors, the Peter T- Peter Thiel of this world and, and the Drapers and all of that lot, um, investing very heavily. And uh, it seems that the SEC in America is sort of laid off a bit to allow it to mature. And I have a feeling that we're just about at the bottom of the cycle now, I think from here on, or pretty close to the bottom, I think from the rest of the year, there's going to be a fairly solid growth in prices, I think. <laughs> I have been yeah, there before. That, that is very true. And for us, we are on the same sort of boat as well. We have the same feeling. We understood that every single new industry needs to go through a bit of a cycle, a bit of a change, and needs to understand what is the bad, what is the good, and how to look out for the red flags and how to look out for the great projects. Yeah. And the industry over the last five or six years has gone through extreme growth and this is definitely going to attract all different types of people but the the members that are going to participate in this market and are going to help foster the growth um, are looking to not only make sure that the regulatory government bodies which in their jurisdiction are happy but also they protect the consumers um, at the heart and the core of their business as well and it's about becoming that businessman bringing the same sort of um, oversight that financial institutions or businesses are beholden to, to a new and emerging market. Yeah, yeah, I think that's true. Now, how does the partnership with LexisNexis Risk Solutions, how does that actually screen out people potentially engaged in illegal activity? What, what's, the, what's the process? So what, what we've found in the past that many exchanges have allowed the users just to sign up with the email address, there's, there's no identification, there's no knowledge of where that money has come from or where it is going to go. And while this has helped the industry sort of fuel the growth momentarily, it has also has allowed for bad actors. Um, and th- this is where the government wants to clamp down because the process for them is very simple. If there's an avenue for someone to launder money for illegal activity, um, that would that would take the hard steps rather than working out in the middle ground. And for us, the partnership with LexisNexis Risk Solutions allowed us in real time to monitor users from the moment they come on site by identifying them and having government issued identifiers confirmed by LexisNexis Risk Solutions. 
and they're using part of the solution of threat metrics to be able to determine if the device itself has been involved in any fraudulent activity. And then it monitors the behavior um, over the course of various different pages to allow us to know if there's any particular interest in the background that is, it could be determined as suspicious activity. So, what's your, what's your view on the um, um, anonymity of cryptocurrency trading? <clears throat> is, it, is it possible or by allowing anonymity you allow bad actors to run amok? So I personally think in, in our instance that there's definitely some degree of anonymity that needs to be held as well. We, we do own the right to our own privacy, to understand what, what we'd like to spend our money on, where we're spending it, and how much we particularly own as well. Blockchain has seemed to have taken that control out of the user's hand. The idea is that your wallet address is available online uh, for anyone to see what is the holdings of that particular wallet. Right. Uh, but the degree of anonymity that we do have is that the, nobody knows who owns that particular wallet address. Right. So while an exchange has the ability to be able to link a particular type of wallet to a particular type of user due, due to the sign-up process, we, we don't retain that data, and that allows us to be able to determine um, that the user from day one, when they have come to the site, is not a fraudulent user. And they can have that degree of anonymity, although... They, it's up to their responsibility to report, you know, their tax obligations to the government as well, and uh, to their juris- according to their jurisdiction, they have to report it. We can help out in allowing you to understand what sort of your tax obligations are, what your obligations are by country as well. But there is always some anonymity that people are going to want, and while there will be some available, the idea behind what cryptocurrency can bring to, you know, the current market is only the start of it. And while some people want to retain anonymity, we're really looking at what could foster many, many different new markets across the world. So are you saying that you can analyze accounts and determine in the main what may be suspicious or illegal activity and you only divulge the name of the account holder if that is the case, if it, if it runs up a red flag? So by using the gatekeeper model of yep. LexisNexis Bridge Solution, it allows us as to determine by the identification that the user has provided whether this person is on the global watch list um, or if there's any issues that may have occurred in the past in regards to this person's ID. And that could be even if there was a, uh, a theft of identity and it was being used by somebody overseas or allowed to determine if this has been reported as uh, stolen. Um, the process for us is that while a user's on a site, if a user's account is behaving uh, erratically, so a normal user, the, the AI system that threat metrics has in the background um, and various other behavioral monitoral analysis systems allows to determine that if a user trades on average, let's say, $1,000 per day, and suddenly there's a massive spike of uh, a couple million dollars worth of crypto coming in and being transferred to fiat currencies and being exited, this could potentially be a suspicious uh, activity. And it allows us to, for us to flag a, a reporter to the relevant bodies 
such as Austrac here in Australia. And the idea behind this is that for the industry to grow, there is always going to be the bad actors out there trying to take advantage. And we want to be the first person where the buck stops. We want to make sure that there's no bad actors on our site. We are there to protect every single consumer on our site as well, as well as meet the obligatory oversight by Austrac and by the ATO as well. Well, I've got, I've got friends. Um, for example, I was talking to a, um, a business consultant, if you like, in, um, in Beverly Hills the other day who is trying to buy um, $100 million worth of crypto, worth of bitcoins. And I also have a number of friends who trade crypto every day, and some of them making up to 10 grand a day just trading crypto. So would both of those instances both automatically flag, bring up a red flag so that they were, um, they'd come to some authorities' attention? So this is where the instance, once again, of the alliance with LexisNexis Thrift Solution helps us out in so many different formats. Because by allowing the device ID um, of the user to be identified and compared to, you know, various other different sites that they, they, they surf across the web and allow them to determine that this user is not a bad actor, our systems can automatically determine that while there may be a large transaction or a large amount of volume for their account, it is not out of the norm for them. Right. The idea behind that is that we are looking to protect compromised accounts. Uh, a user that doesn't particularly behave in this, in this aspect, they don't normally trade these type of markets, they don't normally try to extract large amounts of money at a certain time. Most bad actors are looking to try and move money in various uh, particular ways. And this allows us to create policies around the network that allows us to determine what ways we can work with to understand what is a bad actor. Now, we over time understand those policies better, they become more granular as well, and allow us to protect not only the good users, but allow us to make sure there's no false positives as well. Right, so then you say that you um, implement similar controls to the biggest banks in the world. Um, while I can see why that adds credibility to crypto exchanges um, to some degree. Banks do not have a great reputation for doing much, and most people hate banks. So do, you yeah. think, do you think that is a, um, a negative towards cryptocurrency exchanges? Well, what we have thought of was very simple. Um, well, we had this idea in our mind that we needed our users to feel secure, that we wanted them to trade with confidence and to really bring that across to any user that interacts with our exchange. And we realized over time that as human beings, we, we have this sort of checklist in our mind that allows us to determine what we feel secure about. If you go to a new website to purchase a new item, um, as long as it's a secure connection, you, you, you have this mental tick in your mind. When you put your credit card in to purchase a particular item, if there's a PayPal checkout, it allows you to have this tick in mind. And the reason why you feel safe interacting with that site is because you've become used to this process that you are looking for personal protection. You are looking that when you are 
going to spend your hard-earned money or you're going to trade on a particular site or interact with a particular site, if there is any bad actors in the background acting on that site where they may potentially uh, take credit card information, take your data, there is someone that is going to protect you. And we wanted to offer that same sort of protection. We want, wanted to let our youth know that they've come to our site, that no matter which way you interact, if there is any possibility of bad actors taking your, uh, taking your ID or identification or stealing any, sort of your, any part of your crypto as well, we can weed them out and we will protect you as well. And providing that same confidence and that same peace of mind that you have when you interact with the other sites. Right. So how could cryptocurrency change banking regulations? And does cryptocurrency mean the end of banking as we know it? My, my personal opinion um, and I'm sure shared by many others, is that cryptocurrency will probably enhance the current market. We, we are already seeing a change around the world of the way that we handle money. We've become a much less cashless society. Uh, we've moved a lot over to using our cards or our phones. Particularly in Australia, we've recently moved over to the system of tap and go. Yep. It's a... Uh, Right across Australia allows us to uh, spend up to $100 without putting a pin in just by tapping our card at the register. Yep. We, we are becoming increasingly more reliable in various technologies that have been tried and tested. And re- the, this reliance on these technologies has allowed us to, the, allowed us to sort of move forward at this blazing speed. And cryptocurrency, while it's still being explored, can allow us to go to the petrol station and fill up the car without ever having to go inside to pay for it. Our car potentially has the currency petrol credit. It automatically syncs with the pump when you go there and then you get to leave. And this allows us to just have an idea of where it potentially help us out. And while there may always be, you know, the banks, there may always be the federal institutions or the federal reserves, cryptocurrency could help enhance what is already out there and take us to the next level of where we find that we're merging a large amount of our world into the digital world. I've got a number of friends that have businesses that operate internationally and a lot of them now pay all their international accounts with Bitcoin or some form of crypto. Um, so it seems to me that one area that was the preview purview of the banks, which was international money transfers and all that area, is going to be gone to the banks. Yeah. I've got, well, other, I've got other friends that are involved in um, using bit, um, blockchain to match people who want money with people who have money um, without going through a, a bank or through a lending institution, and that's getting to be quite prevalent. Um, I've got an investment in a company called Ula La, which is um, creating um, um, loans for undocumented, unbanked, uncredit carded people in the United States, and that's a $2.3 trillion a year market that is being done now by blockchain and again, taking out the banks. So 
the, it seems to me the days of, I mean, banks make money by you walk into the bank and they say, oh, welcome, have a cup of tea, have a biscuit, have a bowl of water for your dog. We'll give you 1% on your money. And then you go home and you come back five minutes later and you say, hi, I'd like to borrow some of that money I just gave you and buy a car. And they say, sure, here, have a biscuit, have a cup of coffee, have a bowl for your dog. That's 8%. And they put the 7% in the middle in their pocket. Well, blockchain eliminates all that bullshit, doesn't it? Ah, it most definitely will. And the, the, the timing of this market to where we are currently in the world uh, regarding our trust basis model is, is amazing because over the last five to 10 years, we've seen this switch over of where we, we don't particularly trust a restaurant, we don't particularly trust a model, we don't particularly trust what a salesman has been telling us. And we've been going online and we've been waiting to read a review, we've been uh, logging into websites to understand where we have this peer-based trust model. We use Airbnb, we use Uber, we use Yelp, um, to, and all these formats of, of purchasing online have come about from a peer-based trust review system. The sad and part, is, of course, the sad the part about thing with blockchain. The sad part about that is that um, I was speaking to a guy um, that works with Yelp, and 80-something percent, 85 or 86% of all of the um, testimonials on Yelp are bullshit. They're all made up and put up by either rivals of whoever's being evaluated or people who are involved with people who are, <laughs> are um, being evaluated. So you can't trust any of those either. And that's where blockchain can come and help us out. It allows you as a user to provide a review to a restaurant that cannot be faked. Um, it's using from your particular address, you know, people have known the address can provide reviews to certain different sites or certain different products as well. Yep. And it allows you to once again um, live in this world where we can trust the consensus, we can trust the, the, the public trust that's been provided to this item or to this particular shop or restaurant as well. Right. It, it is really amazing and the amount of growth that this industry has seen right across different sectors uh, has been phenomenal. Uh, as you mentioned, everything from, uh, you know, empowering people that have, have been have been part of, you know, the, what we call the unbanked until now, to everything across the trucking industries, to the financial industries, and we are only at the start of the cycle. Yeah, that's right. I agree. Um, I've, I've just written a newsletter, you know, my daily newsletter. Do you get that? I do. I most definitely do. Now, what you're supposed to say now is because you're being heard all over the world, you're supposed to say, I love it. It's fantastic. It's the first thing that I look at when I get up in the morning. <laughs> For me, it's actually, it is actually one of the first things I look at in the morning. So here in Australia, it is one of the first things I do get as well. It is, it is very different than any other newsletter that I read and it's straight to the point and actually provides me insight very quickly to a particular problem or a particular issue that you've uh, come across or has been actually very, very interesting for me. Thanks, mate. I appreciate that. <laughs> un un unprompted. Um, yeah, I wrote, and I wrote that uh, it seems to me that the, the big player over the next few years is going to be Ethereum because um, most things, irrespective of the industry, 
or the applicate seem to be being built on the Ethereum platform. Do you agree with that or not agree with that? Or I've always been a great believer of Ethereum myself. Um, the founder, um, I, I don't think you saw where it was going to go. The idea of being able to build decentralized app, being able to build tokens based around smart contracts, yes, um, it, it's still being explored, but you have more people involved in, in trying to understand what is available and what, what is the opportune moment to be able to create a token and what's the best way to be able to create one as well. Um, it's, it's been amazing to watch the growth. We, we are very fortunate at our company to have one of 59 certified Ethereum developers in the world working for us. And I always, you know, have a moment to sit down and have a chat with him and discuss with him. He thought as well, because 2012 or 2011, so, so now the, the difference in where the network has gone and where it has been and the process of us being about 70%, I think, of all traffic within the cryptocurrency space is occurring on the Ethereum network. It is not something you want to miss. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. Um, what are, um, what's Ethereum doing about its um, transaction speed problems? I mean, there is processes of scalability. Um, the issue is with upgrading the network, everyone has to agree. Uh, otherwise, they can, can occur a fork, yes. um, as we've seen many times before. And while many people do agree to the various upgrades, what, what we're finding is that as the network grows larger, it, it, it takes a bit longer to implement upgrades because the, the, the various people that may have certain parts of control, uh, to a small extent, may not agree always to various upgrades. And there always will be a process that when you leave it in the public hands to determine a yes or a no, not everyone's going to agree to move forward in a particular direction. And while that is great um, to allow the control to be handed back to the public rather than a single institution or a single third party, it does also allow us to open the doors of indecision sometimes. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. Scalability is always going to be an issue as we are finding that step by step, you know, the network is growing larger, more people are starting to use us. Um, although we are also standing behind it as well and working our way through and everyone is contributing to the best way possible that they can find um, various different areas that they can help out in as well to be able to make sure that not only does it build scale up, but the people behind us who have either said yes or said no, can understand what direction we're trying to take it in to bring about improvement, security, reliability, and uh, and scalability being a large one as well. Yeah. So, how could your trading platform attract the usage volumes of cryptocurrencies globally? Because we're playing a global, we're playing in a global pond, aren't we? So, um, what's going to be the thing that attracts people to your trading platform? The security and compliance focus, along with the insurance that we're offering to protect our users against any potential bad actors and cyber attacks, uh, not only will attract the legitimate customers to our site, but also institutions that are focused on protecting their reputation. And by also partnering with BitSpread as a liquidity, liquidity provider, it positions us on a global stage to be able to interact with our customers worldwide. Yeah. Uh, what's to stop 
um, another trading platform in the room next door saying, oh, shit, what they're doing is really cool. We should do the same thing. What's to stop them just um, doing the same thing? For us, there, there is a few partnerships that are obviously quite exclusive to us, but we don't feel that a competition will necessarily be a bad thing. Competition is what uh, helped drive down prices in various different sectors and various different markets uh, to allow the users to be able to gain the advantage. And, and that is what fosters the growth. It's the users entering the market being able to have the ability to be able to interact or to be able to purchase an item um, at a non-exclusive price. And we, we've seen this right across with most of the exchanges worldwide. The, the, the cost per transaction, the withdrawal cost, the, the onboarding time has all gone down right across the board because there are other players that are entering into the market. Sure. And we're finding the focus on support, which is we, where we are really, really looking to be able to hand our customers whatever they need to be able to understand not only the market and the coin in the background, but any help right across the board as well. And that's going to be a critical key point of difference. I'm going to launch an ICO. I'm sitting out there and I think I'm going to launch an ICO. What are the most important things um, to consider when you're launching an ICO? For us, we found that the team was really one of the key elements in launching an ICO because we're not just buying into the project, we're buying into the people that are making it. And we've seen so many different formats. We've seen various different companies get out there and fail because they thought that, you know, making a big splash is all that they needed. Yeah. But for the person sitting at home and looking at your website or someone sitting in a company and looking to invest, you, you, you've got a mixture of a Kickstarter and an IPO sort of model. You, you, you've got to speak to each person individually. And what they want is to be able to understand why and who is doing that and what you're trying to bring to the market and how you're trying to disrupt it. So the main process for an ICO nowadays or token generation uh, events as they call it nowadays as well, it's not just about the flashy um, you know, website and the flashy white paper. It's really understand your market, really understand the team that you're bringing to build as well, and whether you are going to make a change by bringing this to the blockchain. And right. if you are, the, it, your merit, it stands on its own merit. Okay. David, we've just about run out of time. Um, how does anybody who wants to get involved with BlockBid, how do they give you money or how do they find out more? Just by going to the um, website, which is blockbid.io, or what else can they do? That's, that's correct. They can also join our Telegram room. Uh, the three founders and our chief marketing officer in direct contact there. Right. Uh, almost around the clock as well. And they can ask us questions if they like as well. Um, but yes, definitely through through blockbit.io. If they have a question, they can send an email to info at blockbit.io and it'll be sent to the rele- uh, relevant sort of parties within the company if they have any direct questions for myself or any of the other founders. Or through Telegram. That is correct. Telegram, we still provide that sort of process where they can contact us directly, sure. sort of on a chat form basis, and speak to the three founders and also our chief marketing officer as well. Terrific. Well, thank you very much for speaking with me on the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, David. I look forward to getting back to Melbourne and, and having another evening out, nice meal, a few wines and a great chat. 
I look forward to that. Thank you. And I'll Thank be, you so much as well, Bob. It's been great to actually have a chat with you. It's a pleasure. And I'll be back with more of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice American Business Network after this short break. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard radio show. We're um, coming to you on Voice America Business Network, broadcasting today from the entertainment and technology hub of the world, Los Angeles, California. I received a an email the other day after my um, show about eliciting truthful answers to your questions. And research shows that changing the way that you phrase a question can affect whether people answer honestly or whether they lie to you or don't tell you at all. So the way you phrase the question can vary from 90% truthful answers to less than 10% truthful answers. And I received an email response from Ken Cragen. Now, Ken Cragen was the manager of Trisha Yearwood, Travis Tritt, Dottie West, Dolly Parton, Lionel Richie, Kenny Rogers, and a whole bunch of others. He's the recipient of many awards, including the United Nations Peace Medal. He's got two MTV Video Awards, several Grammy nominations, and dozens of others. He was instrumental in USA for Africa, which included Michael Jackson, um, Bruce Springsteen, Lionel Richie, Cindy Lauper, Kenny Rogers, and many other big pop stars of the day. And Ken's email reads, Bob, for 30 years I've taught classes and giving speeches about how to get caught telling the truth, the power of honesty. Honesty. (laughs) I show my students or audiences how to build a reputation and succeed using honesty as an inexpensive and effective tool to gain their objectives. And this fits in perfectly with what you were talking about on your show. So I thought that I would send this email to you. It works because so few people are honest these days. If you are, then you are unique. You'll stand out. You'll find that people want to deal with people they can trust. One example I use is a true story of a time when Kenny Rogers asked me to check on something with the president of CBS television. I told him I'd do it but I forgot to make the call. Then Kenny asked me, what did Bud say? I had two choices. I could easily say, I called Bud and left word and he hasn't called me back yet. Or I could admit my failure to follow through with Kenny's request. So I told Kenny, I never wrote it down. I got busy and I forgot. Next time, make sure you tell me to write it down. That built an enormous mountain of trust between Kenny and I, and our relationship lasted 33 years without a contract. He knew he could always count on me to level with him, and that is very hard to find these days. 
Another great example that relates directly to your discussion today happened to my friend Ralph Destino, who was the CEO of Cartier. A woman who saw Ralph told him she was having a terrible time finding a new job after being fired from a previous one. Ralph said to her, next time when you go for a job interview and before you even sit down, say, excuse me, I don't want to waste your time today. Would you hire a woman who was fired from a last job? At the very next interview, she got the job and she's still in it today. So, Bob, honesty works. I thought you might enjoy these few thoughts. Signed, Ken. Well, thanks, Ken. That was great. I really appreciate it. Remember, if you're not living on the edge, you're taking up too much space. It's easier and it's more rewarding to do the impossible than it is to do the ordinary. If you're always trying to be normal, you'll never know how amazing you can be by not being normal. Who needs normal people? They are boring. So I hope you can join me again next Tuesday when I will again be broadcasting from our studio in Hollywood Boulevard in Los Angeles where the weather is very hot and the entrepreneurs are even hotter. In the meanwhile, continue to be successful because the alternative really sucks. This is Bob Pritchard. You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life.